reading from 365 one-year Bible. The entire New Living Translation arranged in 365 daily readings for July 4th. Starting with 2 Kings, let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear your word. Thank you for your love and your kindness. Thank you that you keep us ahead of all things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 31 to 2530. Jehoahaz Ahas was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother was Hamuta, the daughter of Jeremiah from Libna. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. Pharaoh Necho put Jehoahaz in prison at Riblah in the land of Hamat to prevent him from ruling from Jerusalem. He also demanded that Judah pay 7,500 pounds of silver and 75 pounds of gold as tribute. Pharaoh Necho then installed Eliakim and another of Josiah's sons to reign in place of his father, and he changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. Jehoiahaz was taken to Egypt as a prisoner where he died. In order to get the silver and gold demand as tribute by Pharaoh Necho, Jehoiakim collected a tax from the people of Judah requiring them to pay in proportion to their wealth. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem. The daughter of Pediah from Rumah, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. Let me read that again. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother was Sebbida, the daughter of Pediah from Rumah. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. During Jehoiakim's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon invaded the land of Judah. Jehoiakim surrendered and paid him tribute for three years, but then he re rebelled. Then the Lord sent bands of Babylonian Ar Armenian Moabite Ammonite raiders against Judah to destroy it, just as the Lord had promised through his prophets. These disasters happened to Judah according to to the Lord's command, he had decided to remove Judah from his presence because of the many sins of Manasseh. He had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not forgive this. The rest, <clears throat> the rest of the events in Jehoiakim's reign and all his deeds are recorded in the book of the history of kings of Judah. When Jehoiakim died, his son Jehoiachin became the next king. The king of Egypt never returned after that, for the king of Babylon occupied the entire area formerly claimed by Egypt, from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan from Jerusalem. Jehoiachin did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his father had done. During Jehoiachin's reign, the officers of King Nebuchadnezzar 
of Babylon came up against Jerusalem and besieged it. Nebuchadnezzar himself arrived at the city during the siege. The siege. Then King Jehoiachin, along with his advisors, nobles, and officials, and the queen mother, surrendered to the Babylonians. In the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he took Jehoiachin prisoner, as the Lord has said beforehand. Nebuchadnezzar carried away all the treasures from the Lord's temple and the royal palace. They cut apart all the gold vessels that King Solomon of Israel had placed in the temple. King Nebuchadnezzar King Nebuchadnezzar took 10,000 captives from Jerusalem, including all the princes and the best of the soldiers, craftsmen, and smiths, so only the poorest people were left in the land. Nebuchadnezzar led King Jehoiachin away as a captive to Babylon, along with his wives and officials, the queen mother, and all Jerusalem's elite. He also took 7,000 of the best troops and 1,000 craftsmen and smiths, all whom were strong and fit for war. Then the king of Babylon installed Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, as the next king, and he changed Mataniah's name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother was Hamutah, the daughter of Jeremiah from Libna. But Zedekiah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as Jehoiachin had done. So the Lord, in his anger, finally banished the people of Jerusalem and Judah from his presence and sent them into exile. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So on January 15, during the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon led his entire army against Jerusalem. They surrounded the city and built sage ramps against his walls. Jerusalem was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah's reign. By July 18 of Zedekiah's 11th year, the famine in the city had become very severe, with the last of the food entirely gone. Then a section of the city wall was broken down, and all the soldiers made plans to escape from the city. But since the city was surrounded by the Babylons, they waited for nightfall and fled through the gate between the two walls behind the king's gardens. They made a dash across the fields in the direction of the Jordan Valley. But the Babylonians chased after them and caught the king on the plains of Jericho, for by then his men had all abandoned him. They brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was passed against him. The king of Babylon made Zedekiah watch. All of his sons were killed as all of his sons were killed. Then they gouged out Zedekiah's eyes, bound him in bronze chains, and led him away to Babylon. On August 14 of that year, which was the 20th year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, captain of the guard and official of the Babylonian king, arrived in Jerusalem. He burned down the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all of the houses of Jerusalem. He destroyed all the important buildings in the city, then the captain of the guard supervised the entire Babylon army as they tore down the walls of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, captain of the guard, then took as exiles those who remained in the city along with the rest of the people and the troops who had declared their alliance to the king of Babylon. But the captain of the guard allowed some of the poorest people to stay behind in Judah to care for the vineyards and fields. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars 
the bronze water carts and the bronze sea that were at the Lord's temple, and they carried all the bronze away to Babylon. They also took all the pots, shovels, lamps, snuffles, dishes, and all of the other bronze utensils using for making sacrifice at the temple. Nebuchadnezzar, captain of the guard, also took the fire pans and basins and all of the other utensils made of pure gold or silver. <clears throat> the bronze from the two pillars, the water carts, and the sea was too great to be weighed. These things had been made for the Lord's temple in the day of King Solomon. Each of the pillars was 27 feet tall. The bronze capital on top of each pillar was seven and a half feet high and was decorated with a network of bronze pomegranates all the way around. The captain of the guard took with him as prisoners Sariah, the chief priest, his assistant Sephaniah, and the three chief gatekeepers. And of the people still hiding in the city, he took an officer of the Judean army, five of the king's personal advisors, the army commander, chief secretary, who was in charge of recruitment, and 60 other citizens. Nebuchadnezzar, the commander, took them all to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And there at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king of Babylon had them all put to death. So the people of Judah were sent into exile from their land. Then King Nebuchadnezzar appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, and grandson of Shaphan as governor over the people left in Judah. When all the army commanders and their men learned that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah as governor, they joined him at Mizpah. These included Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, Johanan, son of Korea, Sariah, son of Tanhumet, and the Naphtalite, and Johasaniah, son of Makatayat and all their men. Gedaliah vowed to them that the Babylon officials meant them no harm. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and all will go well with you, he promised. But in the mid-autumn of that year, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, and grandson of Eliashama, who was of the royal family, went to Mizpah with ten men and assassinated Gedaliah and everyone with him both Judeans and Babylons. Then all the people of Judah from the least of the greatest, as well as the army commander, fled in panic to Egypt, for they were afraid of what the Babylons would do to them. In the 37th year of King Jehoiachin's exile in Babylon, evil Merodach ascended to the Babylonian throne. He was king of Jehoiachin and release him from prison on April 2nd of that year. He spoke pleasantly to Jehoiachin and gave him preferential treatment over all the other exiles kingdom in Babylon. He supplied Jehoiachin with new clothes to replace his prison garb and allow him to dine at the king's table for the rest of his life. The Babylonian king also gave him a regular allowance to cover his living expenses until the day of his death. Wow, what a story, what an incredible story. You know, in today's, today's prophecies, you know, it's amazing that uh, there's a lot of people worshiping God, praising God. There's a lot of uh, millions and millions of people on, on their knees praying for this nation. 
as has always has been, as there always been war. I think there's been about, I don't know, 15,000 recorded wars ever since they started counting. So there's always turmoil, there's always difference. But the one principle, the Word of God, still keeps everything, keeps everyone hoping and praying for others and, and seeing miracles take place. There was a homeless guy at the park and he seems like he has a, you know, he has a need for a place to live, of course. And um, we gave him uh, AA literature. We drank coffee and treated him with respect and kindness. And then I prayed for him. I prayed for him this morning. I'm other way on the other side of town. I went for a walk, get my 10K in, by the way. And as I, I prayed for him on the way over there, when I was coming back, I bumped into him as I was crossing the street. We just couldn't. We bumped into us like it was ordained. So I prayed for him one more time. I gave him a couple of dollars. His name is Eric. He's a white man, tall. He must be about 40, 45. He's already got gray hair. Thin, and he seems to have some kind of tumor in his belly because it just protrudes out. So please keep him in prayer that we may bring. He could be saved because he was carrying a Bible when he came to the AA park and uh, couldn't make any sense of his words, but we listened to him and we gave him coffee and cookies and stuff and tried the best to maybe one more time our prayers will work. So I prayed for him, Psalm 23, and there he shows up. What a coincidence. All right, moving on, we're going to be reading Acts 22 to 23.10. 22.17, that is. One day after I, Paul, returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple, and I fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, Hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't believe you when you give them your testimony about me. Wow. But the Lord, but Lord, I argue, they recently know that I am prison and beat those in every synagogue who believed on you. But Lord, again, I argued, they certainly know that I am prison and beat those in every synagogue who believed on you. Now, that was the Apostle Paul that did that. He imprisoned and beat those in every synagogue who believed in you. And when your witnesses, Stephen, was killed, I was standing there, agreeing. I kept the coats they laid aside as they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, Leave Jerusalem, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul came to, the, to that word. Then with one voice they shouted, Away with such a fellow! Kill him, he isn't fit to live. They yelled, threw off their coats, and tossed handful of dust into the air. The commander brought Paul inside and ordered him lash with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. As they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, Is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? The officer went to the commander and asked, what are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. 
So the commander went over and asked Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty. But I am a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard he was a Roman citizen, and the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. The next day, the commander freed Paul from his chains and ordered the leading priests into session with the Jewish high council. He had Paul brought in before them to try to find out what the trouble was all about. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God in all good conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you whitewashed wall. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, Is that the way to talk to God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was a high priest, Paul replied. For the scripture says, Do not speak evil of anyone who rules over you. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees, and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were all my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. This divided the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all of these. So a great clamor arose. Some of the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, jumped up to argue that Paul was all right. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. The shouting grew louder and louder, and the men were tugging at Paul from both sides, pulling him this way and that. Finally, the commander, fearing they would tear him apart, ordered his soldiers to take him away from them and bring him back to the fortress. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul, just as you have told the people about me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome. The next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath to neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 of them. They went to the leading priests and other leaders and told them what they had done. We have bound ourselves under an oath to neither drink or eat until we have killed Paul. You and the high council should tell the commander to bring Paul back to the council again, they requested. Pretend you want to examine his case more fully. We will kill him on the way. But Paul's nephew heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. Paul called one of the officers and said, Take this young young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did, explaining, Paul, the prisoner, called me over and asked me to bring you this young man because he has something to tell you. The commander took him by the arm, led him aside, and asked him, What is it that you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told him, Some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the Jewish high council tomorrow, pretending they want to get some more information. But don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding along the way, ready to jump him and kill him. 
They have vowed not to eat or drink until they kill him. They are ready, expecting you to agree to their request. Don't, don't let a soul know you told me, said the commander, warned the young man as he sent him away. Then the commander called two of his officials in order, get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Also take 200 spearmen and 70 horsemen. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. Then he wrote this letter to governor. From Claudius Lysias to His Excellency, Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by some Jews, and they were about to kill him when I arrived with the troops. When I realized that he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. Then I took him to their high council to try to find out what he had done. As soon as I discovered it, was something regarding their religious law, certainly nothing. I soon discovered it was something regarding their religious law, excuse me. Certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. But when I was informed as a plot to kill him, of a plot, I immediately sent him unto you. I have told his accusers to bring their charges before you. So that night, as ordered, the soldiers took Paul as far as Antipatrice. They returned to the fortress the next morning while the horsemen took him to the Caesarea. When they arrived in Caesarea, they presented Paul in the letter to Governor Felix. He read it and asked Paul what providence he was from. Cilicia, Paul answered. I will hear your case myself when your accusers arrive, the governor told him. Then the governor ordered him kept in the prison at Herod's headquarters. Amen. Let's keep going. It's a pretty good story. I'm jumping days now. This is chapter 24. Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, arrived with some of the Jewish leaders and the attorney. Tertullus to press charges against Paul. When Paul was called in, Tertullus laid charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. Your Excellency, you have given peace to us Jews and have enacted reform for us. And for all of this, we are very grateful to you. But lest I bore you, kindly give me your attention for only a moment as I briefly outline our case against this man. For we have found him to be a troublemaker. Yeah, a man who is constantly inciting the Jews throughout the world to riots and rebellions against the Roman government. He is a ringleader of the sect known as the Nazarenes. Moreover, he's trying to defile the temple when we arrested him. You can find out the truth of our accusations by examining him yourself. Then the Jews chimed in, declaring that everything Tertullus said was true. Now it was Paul's turn. The governor motioned for him to rise and speak. Paul said, I know, sir, that you have been a judge of Jewish affairs for many years, and this gives me confidence as I make my defense. You can quickly discover that it was no more than 12 days ago that I arrived in Jerusalem to worship at the temple. I didn't argue with anyone in the temple, nor did I incite a riot in any synagogue or on the streets of the city. 
These men certainly cannot prove the things they accuse me of doing, but I admit that I follow the way which they call a sect. I worship the God of our ancestors and firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the books of prophecy. I have hope in God just as these men do that he will rise both the righteous and the ungodly. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and everyone else. Okay, let me read that again. But I am, excuse me, birds, but I, <laughs> but I admit that I follow the way which they call a sect. I worship the God of our ancestors. And I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the books of prophecy. I have hope in God, just as these men do, that he will raise both the righteous and the ungodly. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and everyone else. After several years away, I returned to Jerusalem with money to aid my people and to offer sacrifices to God. My accusers saw me in the temple as I was completing a purification ritual. There was no crowd around me and no rioting, but some Jews from the providence of Asia were there, and they ought to be here to bring charges if they have anything against me. As these men here were wrong doing the Jewish high council found in me, except for one thing I said when I shouted out, I am on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Felix, who was quite familiar with the way, adjourned the hearing and said, Wait until Lysias, the garrison commander, arrives. Then I will decide the case. He ordered an officer to keep Paul in custody, but to give him f some freedom and allow his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. A few days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as, the told, as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was terrified. Go away for now, he replied, when it is more convenient, I, call, I will call for you again. He also hoped that Paul would bribe him. So he sent for him quite often and talked with him. Two years went by in this way. Then Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish leaders, he left Paul in prison. Let's keep reading. Amen. Three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities, he left to Jerusalem where the leading priests and other Jewish leaders met with him and made their accusations against Paul. They asked Festus as a favor to transfer Paul to Jerusalem. Their plans was to waylay and kill him, but Festus replied that Paul was a, a Caesarius and he himself would be returning there soon. So he said, those of you in authority can return with me. If Paul has done anything wrong, you can make your accusations. Eight or ten days later, he returned to Caesarea, and on the following day, Paul's trial began. 
On Paul's arrival in court, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations they could improve. Paul denied their charges. I am not guilty, he said. I have committed no crime against the Jewish laws or the temple or the Roman government. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked him, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before there, before me there? But Paul replied, No, this is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried here, right here. You know very well I am not guilty, and if I have done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I am innocent, neither you nor anyone else has the right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Festus conferred with his advisors and then replied, Very well, you have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you shall go. A few days later, King Agrippa arrived with his sister Bernice to pay their respect to Festus. During their stay of several days, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. There is a prisoner here, he told him, whose case was left for me by Felix when I was in Jerusalem. The leading priests and other Jewish leaders pressed charges against him and asked me to sentence him. Of course, I quickly pointed out to them that the Roman law does not convict people without a trial. They are given an opportunity to defend themselves face to face with their accusers. When they came here for the trial, I called the case the very next day and ordered Paul brought in. But the accusations made against him weren't at all what I expected. It was something about their religion and about someone called Jesus who died, but whom Paul insists he's alive. I was perplexed as to how to conduct an investigation of this kind. And I asked him whether he would be willing to stand trial on these charges in Jerusalem. But Paul appealed to the emperor, so I ordered him back to jail until I could arrange to send him to Caesar. I like to hear the man myself, Agrippa said. And Festus replied, You shall tomorrow. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice arrived at the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all present, this is the man whose death is demanded both by the local Jews and by those in Jerusalem. But in my opinion, he has done nothing worthy of death. However, he appealed to his case to the emperor, and I decided to send him. But what shall I write the emperor? For there is no real charge against him. So I have brought him before all of you, and especially King Agrippa, so that uh, after we examine him, I might have something to write, for it doesn't seem reasonable to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying charges against him. Amen. One more. Let's see what we got. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak in your defense. So Paul, with a gesture of his hand, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders, for I know you are an expert on Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. 
As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they were admitted, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I am on trial because I am looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the twelve tribes of Israel worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, O King, they said, It is wrong for me to have this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many of the believers in Jerusalem to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had been, I had them whipped in the synagogues to try to get them to curse Christ. I was so violent opposed to them that I even hounded them in distant cities of foreign lands. One day I was on a and on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, a light brighter than the sun shined upon me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to fight against my will. Who are you, sir? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now stand up, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. You are to tell the world about this experience and about other times I will appear to you. And I will protect you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am going to send you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles that all must turn from their sins and turn to God, and prove they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me, but God protected me so that I am still alive today. To tell these facts to everyone from the least to the greatest, I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead as a light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I am not a saint, most excellent Festus. I am speaking the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak frankly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him for they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can make me a Christian so quickly? 
Paul replied, Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and left. As they talked it over, they agreed. This man hasn't done anything wrong, worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, he could be set free if he had an appeal to Caesar. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.